Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, welcome to Bayshore this morning. Um, we want to welcome our live stream watchers and listeners through Facebook Live. Uh, last Sunday, we had over 500. Every week, we look at the number of people that watch us uh, live stream. Last Sunday, we had over 500 that viewed our Facebook Live. So thank you if you're listening today, Facebook Live, and we invite you to come to Easter Sunday next week. So we're glad to have you with us today. Uh, we welcome Kevin Grove, uh, Kevin Go from Greensboro, Maryland, that was listening, and also Diana from Leesburg, Florida. So thank you for listening last week. We're so glad to have you join in with us. So we are looking today at... Um, at this great story of Palm Sunday. The reason I'm doing this is um, I feel like this is such an important part of uh, the church's story. And another reason I'm doing this is uh, this week I talked to my granddaughter, Willow, who's nine years old. I asked her about Palm Sunday, what she knew about Palm Sunday, and she was really fuzzy about that. And she didn't quite know the story well. And so one of my big concerns about uh, us as a contemporary church and all the churches that are contemporary is that we are failing to com- communicate the biblical stories to people. So I want to make sure that well, we look at that and we don't miss that today. This is really a, a, great, uh, a great story to talk about, and it has a lot to say about uh, what's going on in the, the life of Jesus. So let me read it to you. It's found in, actually in all the Gospels. Um, it's, it's got a little different spin in every Gospel, uh, but it's basically the same story. The only difference is in the Gospel of Matthew... Uh, there's, there's a, a donkey and a colt. Uh, and the other Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, there's just the colt. So obviously, uh, you know, where you have a colt, you have a mother. And so there is this, uh, this little difference in the story. But it's found in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now, let me ask you a question. How many, when you went to church as a kid, got palm branches when you came to church? And you waved them around, you poked your sister with them during church and all that? You remember that? You got palm branches? We didn't get palm branches, but uh, that's what I remember about Palm Sunday. But let me read this story to you. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, and with her colt, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colts, placed the cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of of, of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answers, This is Jesus, the prophet from from Nazareth and Galilee. 
So when I was thinking about Palm Sunday and this big entrance that uh, Jesus made into Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago, as I was thinking about that this week, I, I had a, a kind of a flashback, a memory of something that I got to do uh, in uh, uh, 1991. Uh, I got to see uh, a living president in person. Uh, George Hubert Bush is the only president I've ever seen in person. And the reason I got to see him is that George Hubert Bush came to Seaford High School. Now, some of you may remember that. He was there to celebrate uh, James H. Grove uh, Adult High School. That uh, He was big on education, as you remember. That was a big thing. No child left behind and all that. So uh, Bush was there to celebrate these graduates that had gone to night school and had got their high school diploma. So I got to go uh, on June 12th. 1991 to see President Bush. Now, there was only about 1,100 seats that were available, and the reason I got the ticket was there was a lady in the church I went to visit regularly. I was the pastoral care guy at those days as well as everything, and so I went to uh, visit this lady on a regular basis, and she had a ticket, and she knew I loved history. She knew I was interested in politics, and so she gave me the ticket. So it was a big deal. we have never had a president that has gone to see for Delaware before, as far as I know. There was, uh, back a hundred years before, uh, uh, there was a, a one president, I think it was uh, Harrison, that came through on a train, and they don't think he even got off the train in Seaford, but uh, he came through. So this was a big deal, and so I was there, and all the streets were uh, uh, petitioned off so you couldn't get down any of the streets. I'd have a pass just to get on the street to get to the high school. And there were helicopters flying all over. And what's interesting about the story, though, is I got to hear uh, President Bush. He did a really wonderful job honoring those graduates. But what's interesting about the story is it was uh, June 12th, which was President Bush's birthday. So he was there on his birthday. So they had several hundred people outside uh, on the football field or the soccer field where the helicopter landed to bring President Bush and they were all singing happy birthday to him when he got there. So that was just kind of a cool thing. I thought about that and I got to hear President Bush and all that. That was an exciting time. Probably one of the most exciting things that has ever happened in Seaford. You know, there's not a lot of exciting things that happen in Seaford, uh, granted, but that was a big, big deal. Now, there's nothing quite as exciting that happened in Jerusalem is the day that Jesus came on Palm Sunday to come into Jerusalem. Now, it's an incredible story. I I just wish I was there. I would have loved to see that moment. But to understand what this story is all about, to really understand what the story is about, you have to look back 400 years earlier. You have to go to a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Zechariah. Now, what's interesting about the story is Jesus perfectly fulfilled a prophecy that was given 400 years or 400 plus years to this day when it said in the book of Zechariah, let me read it to you exactly what Zechariah says. Zechariah says this in Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, when Matthew tells the story about Palm Sunday, he links it to this verse. 
Now, he's the only one, I think, that maybe does that. There's, some of the other Gospels allude to it. But Matthew's big thing is Matthew wants to show, his goal in writing his book is to show that what Jesus did was prophesied in the Old Testament. So he always brought the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And so when uh, Jesus comes in Jerusalem, what happens is uh, Matthew, when he tells a story, he said, this is the fulfillment of a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Zechariah. Now, I don't, know, no, I don't know what you know about Zechariah the prophet, but here's something we should know. He, if you understand the context of when Zechariah gave the prophecy, it helps us to understand the meaning of Palm Sunday, what it really means. Now, here's what Zechariah was doing. Zechariah was prophesying in hard times when things weren't good. The city of Jerusalem was completely in ruins. It had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. Everybody say 586. That's an important date in history. 586 was when the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem was, the, the walls were torn down, the gates were burned with fire, the houses were bulldozed over. So it's a pile of rubble. So when Zechariah is prophesying, Jerusalem is in ruins. It's in ruins. Now, after they were under the Babylonians for a while, there was a, a guy named that you probably learned about in, in college in history, in world history, called Darius, Darius the Great. Darius the Great let the Jews go back to Jerusalem. And there was this guy named Zerubbabel who was leading the group, and they went back and they were rebuilding the temple. Now, they didn't rebuild the city first, they rebuilt the temple. So they're rebuilding the temple. And they lay the foundation of the temple. And when they lay the foundation of the temple... And they, they dedicate the, the foundation of the temple. It takes about two years to do that. When they lay the foundation of the temple and they dedicate it, the old people in the crowd are weeping. They're crying. And the young people are just happy and they're excited. Now, why are the old people weeping and the young people jumping with joy? Well, the, the young people, hey, they're excited. They're, they're going to finally have a temple. But the old people, it says in Ezra, had already seen the old temple, and the new temple was much smaller than the old temple. So it looks like a downgrade to these people. It's not very exciting. And they're sad about that because the new temple, you know, it's just it's not as good. And so they're weeping. So they lay the temple, and then they couldn't get the, they didn't do anything for 17 years. They just had the foundation done. And what was going on was they were getting pressure from the outside. People were against them. And finally, this guy named Haggai, everybody say Haggai, not Haggai, Haggai. Haggai was a prophet that prophesied the same time as Zechariah who gave this prophecy about Palm Sunday. And what did Zechariah and Haggai do? Here's what they did. They encouraged the people. They encouraged the people, build that temple, build that temple, get that temple done. And so that's what happens. Zechariah and Haggai, they encourage the people. They start building the temple again. And then about 516, uh, they get the temple built, and it's finally done, and they dedicate it. So Zechariah is prophesying to people that are discouraged. They're down. And why are they down? The Jewish people living in Jerusalem, they're in a city. They have a temple, and, they, and it's surrounded by a ruined city. It looks like Hiroshima. And that's where they are. And they're under Persian rule. They're now under Persian rule. And they, they, don't, they don't have freedom. They're not liberated. 
They are they're oppressed people. And so here's the deal. The deal is they don't have their city restored and they have a little temple compared to the big temple they used to have. And they don't have a king. They don't have a king. And it's not really their land anymore. The Persians own it. So it's kind of like, I don't know what you felt like when you were, uh, if, if maybe you were a renter and you finally got your house. Kyron Klukas, uh, our worship director, uh, he found it this week. He's getting a new house in, in Seaford. He's so excited. He's been a renter. And, uh, you know, he came up this morning. I was trying to talk to him about Jesus. just talking about his house the whole time. So excited about his house. And, you know, if you've been a renter and you finally get your own house, doesn't it feel good? Doesn't feel good if you're renting right now. That's no big deal. You know, you know God's got good things for your future. But I remember when I used to live next to the church and lived in the mobile home and we lived there for five years and uh, I wanted a house. Karen's just happy to be wherever she is. She's just very contented. I'm very ambitious. And so I said, we've got to get a house. And so I was trying to get us a house. And, and uh, there's this house not too far from here, but five miles away. I saw this house and I, it was for sale. And I remember thinking about the house. I was all excited about the house. And I would take my friends that would visit me. I'd take them buy the house. That's the house we're going to buy. That's the house we're going to buy. And just love the house. And then it went off the market. And then it came back on the market. And we got some money together. And the church helped us. And we were able to get our first house. And I remember, I remember the night that, uh, that I found out that the loan came through. We got some, our down payment together. And Karen's visiting her mom and dad uh, over in Seaford. And I'm here in the trailer getting ready for uh, church and uh, and so the phone rings, and it's the, it's the banker, and the banker said, Mr. Tice, you got your loan, you, you're going to get your house. And I remember that feeling. And I went outside, and I had a basketball goal in the backyard, and it was starting to get dark, and I'm just bouncing the ball, and I just started shooting hoops. Swish. 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 I just felt, I felt so good. It was one, I remember that feeling at this moment, of that feeling of being free, of having my own house. And you think about the Jewish people. They've been under the Babylonians. They've been under the Persians. They're going to be under the Greeks during the intertestament period. That's the period when the last book in the Old Testament is written and the New Testament starts and Jesus came. That's 400 years. They're going to be under the Greeks for that amount of time. And then when the New Testament opens, they're going to be under the Romans. So these people have been oppressed. They've been, they've been, they've been under... Uh, they don't have their own king. They don't have their, their own land. They don't have their own government. And, and finally got the city rebuilt, you know, but it's always under occupation. So when Zechariah prophesies, imagine a city that's in ruins. Imagine a discouraged people. Imagine a people that once had a king. They had David. They had Solomon. They had Rehoboam. They had Hezekiah. They had all these kings. And now they don't have a king. All they have is these foreign rulers with appointed governors to, take, uh, to, to give them. And then when Zechariah prophesies, what does he say? Listen. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Listen to this. 
Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Or the word salvation could be deliverance, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when that prophecy is given, it's a description of the Messiah. And they've been asking Jesus all along, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? By the way, what does Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Say Jesus Christ. Say one more more time, Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you don't know this. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. Christ in the New Testament is the same word as Messiah in the Old Testament. It's the same word. When it says Jesus Christ, we're calling Jesus as the Messiah. And so they've been asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? He's kind of pushed them away because he wants to make sure that he fulfills his ministry and his mission. But on this day, he sends his disciples. He knows Zechariah. He knows this verse. He sends, he sends his disciples to go get the donkey and the colt. Make sure you get a colt. They bring that colt to him. And he sits on that colt. He's saying, I'm your king. He's making an announcement. This is his announcement. I am the king that you've been waiting for. And he comes into Jerusalem riding on that, uh, riding on that donkey. And when those people see him on the donkey, and he's been doing these miracles... They put two and two together and say, this is the guy that Zechariah was talking about. This is the guy that Zechariah was talking about. Because, listen, there's another thing in the Old Testament. Here's another thing. Uh, You remember a guy named Moses. Remember Moses got the Ten Commandments? Moses said to the people, listen to this. Moses says, God is going to raise up a prophet like me. Listen to him. And Acts quotes that. So they're looking, the Jewish psyche, the national psyche, they're looking for a Moses, a deliverer. And what did Moses do? Moses delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're looking for a deliverer. So Moses, Deuteronomy says, God's, Moses says, God's going to raise up a prophet like me. Listen to him. Say it with me. Uh, God is going to raise up a prophet like me. Listen to him. That's Moses. Now, what did Moses do? Moses did miracles. He did 10 miracles in Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of of, uh, Egypt. He did miracles. What has Jesus been doing? He's been doing miracles. He looks like the new Moses. And in the book of John, it calls, are you the prophet? The prophet is the reference to that Moses figure that's supposed to come. So the Bible says, Jesus gets on that donkey, the colt there, And the people start ripping branches off, and they begin to wave their branches. And when is he coming in? When is he doing this? When is he fulfilling this prophecy that he's coming in Jerusalem? He's coming in Jerusalem on Passover. What is Passover? How many ever saw the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? I used to watch it every year Easter time. It was on TV. Remember TV when you had to wait? For certain shows that come on TV, you just couldn't like you know you know binge watch anything. You had to wait till Friday night. But there used to be a Ten Commandments shown every Easter. And here's a picture of, of Moses and the Ten Commandments. I think we got a picture. Do we have a picture of Moses? Oh yeah, there he is. There. 
There, there's Moses, Charlton Heston, and every time I read about Moses, I always think about Charlton Heston. How many, you know, you look, he looks like Charlton Heston in your mind. And he's eating the Passover here. Listen, what is Passover about? What's the Ten Commandments about? It's about putting blood on the doorpost, throwing the Egyptians off and getting out of town and being free. And they've been thinking, they've been under bondage all these years, and now Jesus is coming, riding on a donkey, just like Zechariah said, a king to throw off oppression. He's coming in on Passover when Moses delivered the people. So the people put two and two together. This is our deliverer. This is our king, and Jesus was a king. But he wasn't the kind of king they thought he was. He was a different kind of king. Karen and I were at the, uh, the movies the other night. We were at Midway. It was like a couple weeks ago, actually. We came out. We go, to, we go to matinee movies. And the reason we go to matinee movies, two reasons we go to matinee movies is, number one, they're cheaper and we're, we're cheap. So we go, to cheap, we go to the matinee movies. And the second thing is, as we're getting older, we fall asleep at movies at night. So we go <laughs> to matinees. So we come out of the movie theater, and I'm looking for my truck. I can't find my truck. Walking up and down there, Karen, we can't find our truck, you know. And here we are, can't find our truck. Somebody steal my truck? What in the world's going on? My white truck, I'm looking for it, can't find it. Then all of a sudden, it occurred to us simultaneously that we did not drive my truck. We brought Karen's <laughs> Chevrolet Equinox. So there's 10 minutes down the tube you'll never get back in your life. We know we were going to eventually lose our mind as we got older. We just know it happened at the same time. That's the only thing. <laughs> so we finally got an equinox and drove home. Problem is with the Jews, they were looking for the wrong thing. They were looking for a pickup instead of an equinox. He was a king, but he was not the kind of king that they thought he was. He was not coming as a political king. He was not coming to throw off the yoke of the Romans. And that's what they were looking for, and that's what they were thinking. That's why one of the explanations, there are several explanations, of why the people are rejoicing on Sunday and they kill them on Friday. That's one of the explanations. Why were they rejoicing on Sunday and they killed them on Friday? You ever have people that don't have their expectations met? I tell you what, people get angry quick. And they were looking for a king... And he was a king, but he was not the kind of king that they thought he was. They were looking for deliverance from the Roman occupiers. And Jesus had, to, had come to deliver them of something much greater. Jesus had come to deliver them of something much greater. They had a problem. They had problems. They had to pay high Roman taxes. They didn't have freedom. The Romans were ruling over them. They had a problem. They had a problem, and they were under subjugation. In fact, a Roman soldier could come and say, hey, you carry my, uh, my bag, and they have to carry it for a mile. They were, they were oppressed people. They had a problem, but their problem was not their biggest problem. What they thought was their problem was not their biggest problem. Maybe you got problems today. Maybe you got problems with your finances. Maybe you got problems in your marriage. And if you got teenagers, you probably got problems with your teenagers. Maybe you've got problems with, you know, somebody at work. Maybe you've got problems with a habit, with struggle, with depression. 
and all of that. All those are so significant problems. And I tell you what, I just, you know, my heart goes out to all of us that are struggling with different things. But what we think is our main problem is not our main problem. The Jews had a problem of the Romans ruling over them, and they thought that there was, that was their biggest problem. But that was not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem was that their sin had separated, separated them from a holy God. And Jesus had come as their sacrifice to take away not simply their sin, but the sin of the entire world. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. And our biggest problem is not any problem we think is our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is our sin that has separated us from a holy God who loves us and cares about us. That's our big problem. You remember the story in in the Gospel of Luke? It's in Mark 2, uh, as well as I think think, uh, Matthew has it. The story of the man that was paralyzed... And, he, and he, couldn't, he couldn't walk, and his four friends carried him to Jesus. Remember the story? They carried him to Capernaum. They go to Capernaum, which is what Jesus' headquarters were. And they go to Capernaum, and the house is full of people because the Bible says, I think in Luke's version, uh, in Luke chapter 5, that the presence of the Lord was there to heal people. So powerful manifestation of God's Spirit in that place where Jesus was. And they try to get their friend into the house where Jesus was. They couldn't get him in. Remember what they did? They climbed up on the roof. And they made a hole in the roof, and they let their friend down, this paralyzed man, and people were being healed. You know, if I was there, and I'm sitting in the crowd, I tell you what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to say, whoa, man, we're going to see a miracle, another miracle. Man, I'm going to be pumped. He's going to do another miracle. A paralyzed man, I'm going to see it, man. I'd have my, video, I'd have my, my smartphone camera on. I'd be ready for it. Drum roll. A miracle's going to happen. And Jesus said to that man, everybody's excited, sitting on the edge of their seats with bated breath, waiting for the miracle to happen. And he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'll tell you what, be honest. I'll just be honest. I'd have to say, oh, that's great, but where's the miracle? I want to see the miracle. The biggest problem the man had was not being paralyzed. The biggest problem he had was much bigger than that. The biggest problem he had was that he was a sinner, and he was eternally separated from God, and the greatest gift that he could ever have been given was to be forgiven of his sin and be cleansed and made right before a holy God. You come up here, I'd lay hands on you, get healed of cancer, and all that's wonderful. I just People could get healed of any disease. I'm telling you, I am all about it. I love it when people get healed. Don't you love it when people get healed? I tell you what, I'm hearing more miracle stories all the time at Bayshore. People that are having cancer, things that are happening, God's just doing great things. I love that. Are you grateful for that? Say a big amen right now. Incredible, but it's not the biggest miracle. It's not the biggest need. What you think is your biggest need is not your biggest need. Some, so how many would say to me by just raising hand right now and say, Pastor Danny, there's a, something been on mine. A problem has been on my mind uh, the last month or so. I've been really thinking about it and worrying about it. Just raise your hand. There's something, there's just one big thing. You're just thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. You're obsessed with it. We all got stuff like that. 
of what we think is our biggest problem really isn't our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is we need to be forgiven. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they were looking for him to solve what they thought was their biggest problem, but their biggest problem, what they thought was their biggest problem, really wasn't their biggest problem. He came not as a political overflower, overthrower of the, of the Roman government. He came to die on a cross five days later to take away our biggest problem. And our biggest problem is our sin nature, and we need to be forgiven. So Karen and I, we go to the movies on Friday, Every Friday night, and we, uh, we, we, our, our, our theater of choice is, uh, is Midway in Rehoboth. That's where we like to go. We, we go to Salisbury some. Those aren't my people down there. I don't know those people. Uh, I don't run into people I know. I, you know, when I go to Rehoboth, I see people I know. And I like to go to Clayton. Who doesn't like to go to Clayton? You go there, you don't even have to order the movie. You know, just say ticket because you only have one movie there, so you don't have to... <laughs> I took my kids, my grandkids to see Dumbo this week at Clayton, and we had such a wonderful time. I was in Clayton one, one time not too long ago, and, and there was a, we were watching Mamma Mia, and uh, that was this summer, I guess, and there was a bird in the theater flying around in front of the... <laughs> I said, you know, this is entertainment. You can't get that everywhere. There's a live bird flying around in there. But Midway is my theater. I, that's where we'd like to go. So we went to see Unplanned on, on, on Friday... And it's a movie put out by Pure Flix about uh, an abortion clinic. And this girl named Abby Johnson, true story, uh, she ran this abortion clinic, the youngest uh, leader of an abortion clinic in Texas and in, 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 in that whole region, uh, Abby Johnson. She did it for eight years. And this movie was so controversial, so controversial. When I got done watching the movie, I went to the manager and I said, hey, listen, I want you to know, first of all, that, um, that this is my favorite theater. You know, this is my favorite theater. I said, we come here every Friday night, pretty much every Friday night, I said, and you're doing a great job here. I want to thank you for showing this movie because I know you got some heat for this. And she was so grateful, and she said, you know what? To be honest, we've got more positive feedback on this movie than we've got negative. And, but I appreciate you saying that. I said, well, listen, I, I appreciate your courage in showing this movie. I have some friends that they live in Florida. They had to drive 100 miles to see that movie. And Twitter took them off, you know, wouldn't advertise them. They were at Congress this week, Pure Flix. The people at Pure Flix were at Congress. But it's such a controversial thing. It's such a painful thing to people. And anytime you say abortion, my gosh, that just freezes people up. Like, you know, we, we just freeze up. And I have some thoughts about that. One thing is I think anybody, any lady gets pregnant, you know, we need to love her and protect her. And any man that sires a child uh, should be chased for the rest of his life to take care financially for that child. And that's one of the things that's left out of the conversation. But, anyhow, we saw the movie, and uh, it was really good, really moving, uh, about Planned Parenthood and all that. And here's the, here's the point of the movie for me. This girl, this lady, when she actually saw an abortion, although she ran an abortion clinic, she had never been in the room where they did it, and when she actually saw the abortion, it changed her true story, and she, she uh, quit right away. And by the way, since the movie's been shown, a hundred, a hundred abortion providers, a hundred abortion providers have resigned from their job and looking for a different job. Right. 
It's interesting about me. The conversation when I was in college was, was the heart beating of a child. That conversation is completely off the table now. Nobody's talking about that. It's like, you know, abortion right to the end. Absolutely wrong. Um, it's the worst thing America's ever done, in my opinion. But you know what I think is powerful about the movie? Is when she has the epiphany and realizes what she's been a part of, she's sitting in her living room on the floor, Abby Johnson, weeping and weeping and overcome with guilt. And her husband comes to comfort her. And her husband says, you know, what's wrong, Abby? What's wrong? And she said, 22,000 children I'm responsible for in running this clinic. And he wrapped his arms around her and he said, Abby, God loves you and God is able to forgive you of anything. And I'm here to tell you that is the message, my takeaway message of the movie. God can forgive us of anything. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Are you grateful that the, your biggest need has been taken care of by the grace of the cross of Calvary, that our biggest need is not anything other than our need for total forgiveness, and that Jesus came to the cross to give us total redemption and total forgiveness. If you're grateful for that, would you say big amen? amen. You say, Pastor Danny, I haven't been responsible for killing you know, or being part of abortion of 22,000 children. We have all, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all missed the mark. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding on that donkey, he came as a king that was going to be crucified on a cross to provide absolute complete redemption for our sins. And if you're a Christian this morning, you know Jesus, would you take a moment right in this Palm Sunday, in this service, would you lift your hand up and say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me my sins. My biggest need has been taken care of. You have forgiven me. You've cleansed me. Maybe you've had an abortion or maybe you've uh, did, did something that you're very, very much ashamed of. Let me tell you something. There is nothing the grace of God cannot forgive. There's nothing that he cannot wash us from and cleanse, cleanse us from because our God is a God of redemption. The reason Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was to provide absolute forgiveness for all of us. Can you say big amen? I used to read this, uh, I read this book that uh, I read when I first became a pastor, a guy named Keith Miller who wrote a book called New Wine. And in the book, he, I, I don't remember a lot about the book, but I remember one story that I've told many times in my ministry that I read in that book. And it was about a priest that was having these recurrent visions of Jesus. And he would, uh, he'd have these appearances of Jesus, and, and finally he went to the bishop and he said, I'm having these these. Uh, uh, these epiphanies where I'm seeing Jesus, I'm seeing Jesus, and the bishop thought he was crazy. And the bishop said to him, he said, well, listen, if that ever happens to you again, when Jesus appears to you, you ask him, what was the bishop's sin before he became a bishop? 
And so he said, sure. And so the priest went about his way, and it wasn't two weeks later, the bishop came in his office one day, and there sitting that priest. That made him nervous. We saw that priest there, and he brought him into the office, and he said to the priest, he said, uh, are you here because Jesus appeared to you again? He said, yes, Jesus appeared to me. And he said, well, did you ask him what I told you to ask him? He said, yes, I did. And the nervous bishop at this point said, well, what did he say? He said, Jesus said, I don't remember. I don't remember. Our greatest need, our greatest need is to be absolutely 100% forgiven of our sins. That's the message of the gospel. Danny Tice has done some things that he's ashamed of, done some things that have not been in line with the will of God, but I'm so grateful that the grace of God, where sin did abound, it says in Romans chapter 6, grace did much more abound. Say that with me as we close. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. One more time. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian, and you've come today and, and the Lord's working on your heart, as our hands are raised, you can just say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my guilt. Cleanse me of my shame. And forgive me of my sins. He'll do that for you right at this moment. Make him Lord of your life. Make him Lord of your life. Now, Lord, I pray over this great crowd today. Lord, that's come today to hear the gospel. We thank you that we go into the new week as new people. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. Lord, we're new, we're free, we're liberated from our sin. So God, as we come to this new week, we thank you that we walk with, a, with, with palm branches in our hand, jumping and singing because our sins have been forgiven. We ask you, Lord, to bless us this week as we serve you and help us as we get ready for Easter, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.